You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. This is the Christian Humanist Podcast, a weekly discussion of theology, philosophy, literature, art, and other things that human beings do well. And now your hosts, David Grubbs, Nathan Gilmore, and Michael Fox. So the same Welcome all to this week's Christian Humanist Podcast. I'm going to be your host this week. I'm David Grubbs, an assistant professor of English at Houston Baptist University. This is a very special episode. Now, not in the sort of of sitcoms for young people in the 1980s where the characters are having troubles with drugs or something of that nature. No, it's very special because this is our October super crossover event for the Christian Humanist Radio Network. And all of the hosts from all the podcasts are kind of mixing it up. And this year we're talking about classic Universal monster movies. Um, Dracula, The Mummy, The Wolfman, Frankenstein, that sort of thing. And with me today are not Nathan and Michael, but Todd Pedler and Ed Song. Uh, So Todd and Ed, I'll let each of you introduce yourselves and say a little bit about the the podcast that you're on in the network for those who maybe haven't listened to you yet and um, we'll go from there Todd sure sure um, so I'm Todd Pedler I, I teach physics uh, at Luther College in Decorah Iowa um, and I'm one of the hosts of the book of nature uh, which uh, has we, we have had very few episodes the last uh, nine months or so uh, for various reasons, a number of them technical, but a, a number of them just the fact that we're uh, all whipped right now with <laughs> with uh, with all of the, the, the work that we do. Uh, but Book of Nature is a, a podcast in which we uh, tackle subjects related to science, um, science and faith, uh, uh, how we practice as Christians in the sciences, um, we have done uh, our most recent episode released uh, concerns the so-called conflict thesis, which uh, says that uh, from time immemorial, science and religion have always been at war. And um, but we've we've done subject episodes on uh, 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 a number of, of, of different things. Charles uh, Hackney is one of our other hosts. He's a psychologist, and Dan Dawson is the other. Uh, he is a, an atmospheric scientist. Um, the Book of Nature uh, is also participating in the crossover, of course, and they're doing Frankenstein, which I'd also love to be talking about, but we're here uh, together with you guys. So, Yeah, I got to say this crossover event was a series of tough choices. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, definitely. Well, Ed, uh, what do you bring to the table, sir? Well, so, yeah, so uh, I'm Ed Song. I teach in the philosophy department at Westmont College, and um, I co-host, along with Coyle Neal, the City of Man podcast, which is probably the, the baby still of the, of the shows in the Christian Humanist Radio Network. We've been going for, for like a year and a half. 
our show. Yeah, you're the newest, um, but you're producing a lot of episodes. <laughs> yeah, you, you you passed us up a long time ago. So is that true, really? <laughs> oh yeah, we're yeah. only on twenty two. Uh huh. Oh wow. Um. Well, I, yeah. So I, uh, I I didn't I didn't know that. We are we're we are nearing episode fifty. Coyle and I discuss politics and political theory. He teaches in the political science department at Southwest Baptist University. And um, yeah, so we, um, we, we examine issues of, that are going on in contemporary politics, but a lot of also what we are, are focused on or a little bit more interested in is trying to sort of delve into the deeper, more fundamental, normative kinds of problems of political theory as we do that. Last year, I think we were getting sort of maxed out in talking about all the election stuff. So we've, we've tried in this past year to return a little bit more to our roots. Um, there are only so many things that you can say about contemporary politics these days. So again, we try to focus on more fundamental issues. And I have to say that um, this is the first time that I have spoken with either of you. And I think this is the first time that I have appeared on any of the other Christian Humanist Radio Network shows aside from our own. And mm -hmm. so to be on the flagship show of the network is an honor and a privilege. Well, you were, you were very, very welcome, sir. Uh, I've recorded with Todd before. Uh, he's, he's actually sat in for, uh, for either me or, or Michael during times when we had to. Uh -huh. yeah. Uh, step step back but uh well, welcome on sir it's great uh, and i have to i'm a little bit is like if there's some kind of uh hazing that goes on for the new guy i'm a little bit nervous <laughs> <laughs> but luckily this is just audio and not video so <laughs> no I, I i don't know of any hazing rituals unless i'm just so psychologically imperceptive that i went through it and didn't notice yeah. well that's what they always say before they bring the goat out right and then <laughs> fair, fair, fair enough. What is City of Man doing in the crossover? Ah, uh, yeah. So I, I believe uh, our episode is up. Will be up by the time that mm, people hear cool. this. Um, Coil is is tackling Dracula. Sweet deal. Hmm. And I, I'm 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 looking forward to to hearing that one. He's. Uh, yeah, he he he's a fan of the vampire of the vampire movies. Mm -hmm. uh, he and Alexis uh, mm -hmm. uh, are a lot on social media with their with their 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 fandoms mm -hmm. of of those those sorts of those sorts of film and and fiction. And so. is Dracula the granddaddy of them all? In sort of the the you know all of these movies came out in what the late thirties, early early thirties. I, I think sorry, it, I, I think it is say, first. Early, yeah, yeah, I think it is first though. Um, Dracula, yeah, Dracula, Frankenstein, and Mummy. Yeah, yeah Dracula's thirty-one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, is it? Is, wait, is it thirty-one? It's thirty. Franken yeah, Frankenstein was also in thirty-one. Correct. Yeah, Universal was just cranking them out. Very, very cool. Yeah. So our episode, we're going to be focusing on the nineteen thirty-two Universal picture, uh, the Mummy. So. Uh, the very the very first mummy movie, the one with uh, the one with Bela Lugosi, um, and uh, it, th this is this is actually a, a film that, that that I love and uh, a franchise um, that I'm a fan of too. I've seen um, uh, not all, but but some of the the older sequels, and then the Hammer spinoffs, and then um, the uh, what late '90s, early 2000 reboot reboots with 
um, that guy who was in Sino Man. Um, so <laughs> Brendan Fraser. <laughs> Brendan Fraser. Yes, yes, him. <laughs> and and, and Bela Lugosi, I believe, was on Dracula. Yeah. Yes. You mean Boris Look, Karloff? Boris Karloff. So did I say Bela? Did I say Bela Lugosi? You did. You have your Gosh. monsters screwed up. <laughs> Gosh dang it! No, see, you you mess you y'all you guys mess me up talking about. Talking about Dracula. No, also, um, I just like like I said, I just got done listening to the secular uh, to the sectarian review uh, hmm. Wolfman episode, and Bela Lugosi is in that. Mm-hmm. He is, and I didn't I didn't realize that. I just think Lon yeah. Chaney, you know, and uh, right. forgot forgot that Bela Lugosi was also in that. Yeah, All right. So I'm, you know, apologies, Boris Karloff. <laughs> right, a- apologies to Boris Karloff. That man. Um, lo- love, love him so much. You're going to be getting um, a lot of hate mail from the Boris <laughs> Karloff. I am, I am. I can't believe I brought this upon myself. Um, <laughs> it's like curse a, of the mummy. Three, yeah, it's a, yeah, that's right. A three thousand year old Egyptian curse has has befallen you. Gosh, dang it! I don't know what to do with those. Well, I've I've said something about my 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 fandom for this. Um, I don't have as much of a history with it. I, di- I didn't really kind of stumble on into this fandom until I was in kind of my, my late 20s. It was sort of a college thing, and I figured I had a lot of remedial viewing in the, in the classics, if you will. Um, but do, do either of you all have, uh, have a history with this, with this movie? Well, I, I mean, history in, in I guess, sure, in, in some sense. I mean, it, there was a period of time between... I don't know, probably age nine and and 15, where friends of mine and I would dig up old movies in the horror section of Blockbuster uh, when those things still existed. Maybe they still exist. I don't know. We, <laughs> I haven't seen one in a long time. Um, but we had we, we sort of had a thing for for the older horror movies um, in like early film noir. Um so we would watch this, you know, uh, these all these movies that came out in the 30s and 40s. That was just sort of one of these, one of these things we do. And so, you know, of course, this was, uh, this was one of them. Um, and you know, oddly enough, until watching it for this show, it I I'm pretty sure I have not seen it since then. So it's really interesting to you know think about well, what you know, what did how did I react to it then? Um, it's sort of, you know, it, it, it's in this mode that many movies in the thirties were. Um, so it has a lot of that same feel. And so I remember a lot about that, but I don't remember a lot of the issues that I noticed this time through, um, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, although yeah. I do, I do remember distinctly that we watched this at just about the same time as Raiders of the Lost Ark came out. So I like 80, cool. 81, 82. So that actually, that pairing is really interesting uh, to, to put those things together. Yeah, for my part, uh, I have to say that I am not a horror movie kind of a person. You know, I remember reading <laughs> this study that suggested that one of the strongest indicators for long-term marital bliss was if both partners to the marriage enjoyed horror films. Like if you're married, <laughs> if you if they both enjoy horror films, then like the odds of long-term marital success are high. And in my case, neither my wife nor myself like horror movies a lot. Um, for me, I think actually, speaking of more contemporary horror movies, I went to see Poltergeist when it first came out. I was in middle school. I want to say I was in about sixth grade or something like that. My dad, Oof. my brother, and I. 
And like Ooh. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep for the next <laughs> two months. I didn't. Have yeah, it. that. Wow. And I couldn't eat steak either. I just. Uh, <laughs> people who've seen the movie, and um, you know, I think I've seen. I'm pretty sure I've seen the classic uh, Dracula and Frankenstein movies, but that was way long time ago, mm-hmm. and, and I don't remember much about them. And but I'd never mm-hmm. seen. I'd never yeah. seen the Mummy um, mm. before I got ready for this episode which is one of the reasons why uh, I wanted to see the mummy in particular hmm. um, and then I'll also add for the sake of Brendan Fraser fans out there that I watched the Brendan Fraser mummy which I think is about 1999 or 2000 mm-hmm. I watched that last night with my wife <laughs> awesome <laughs> excellent hmm. so, and so it was we can just as good as I remember it from 1999 <laughs> But you can you can take that however you want. It aged well. <laughs> just just as good as you remember. Exactly That's, as good as I remember. Wow, that is that is a that is a, a, a well framed ambiguity, sir. Right. <laughs> Ringing endorsement, yes. Yeah. Well, at, I think this is this is kind of an advantage. We're coming at it with uh, with with different eyes, and so uh, hopefully we'll see interesting and different things uh, so in, in impressions of this film um, in terms of uh, the plot the performances production values that that sort of thing uh, how, how did y'all how, how did y'all like revisiting this as a movie Todd well um, I, I guess I just have a bunch of, of scattered things that um, that come to mind um, I, I never noticed it watching as a kid, but as the opening credits roll, mm. the music that's playing is Swan Lake, which <laughs> I, I found really yes. weird. <laughs> uh, although I I it, I have to say it it may make sense um, because I think Swan Lake is also in Dracula. Um. I, I didn't go check this, but I think it is. And the director of The Mummy, uh, which is na- a man by the name of Carl Freund, or Friend, maybe Friend, but if he's going to go with the German, it's Freund. Uh, he was the cinematographer for Dracula the year before. Um, but as I thought about it, I I thought it it may be a very intentional choice, not, not because of the, the pairing of the personnel in these two movies, but because... Um, you know, Swan Lake is a story of this tragic heroine who's turned into a swan and, and, you know, cannot, uh, you know, ultimately is fixed as a swan. And the only way to reunite with her, with her lover is for them to die. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that's, you know, just a complete coincidence or, or what have you, but I, I thought that was interesting. Um, another thing that, uh, I liked, um, and we'll talk about this a lot more later, I suspect. But you know, the the thing that shows behind the opening credits is is this panel from the Egyptian Book of the Dead, um, and you know the 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 story of that particular panel is one of afterlife judgment and and whatnot. Um, it's it's billed in the in the movie as the Book of Thoth, um, which I, I think we'll have more to talk about. Uh, also, uh, later, I, 
I, I will say, uh, coming coming as I am from the Book of Nature podcast, I, I suppose I really ought to make a comment about about science here. Um, <laughs> and there are a couple of a couple of, of of comments made by characters that I found really uh, intriguing or, or interesting. Um, one is where um, there is the casket with the, uh, the, the box that contains the scroll. Um, they're about to open it. And Dr. Mueller um, uh, is concerned not to. And, 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 and uh, Dr. Uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Wemple, right? Uh, the elder Wemple yeah. says, because uh, Mueller says there's going to be there's a curse there's a curse associated with this and with opening this which is this one of these legends of of, of ancient Egyptian things um, and uh, Wemple says in the interest of science even if I believed the curse um, I would do it uh, and then and then he, and then he gives this kind of thing which which immediately I thought. Uh, of 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 Darth Vader speaking to Luke, you know, he says, "Come back with me, and we'll examine this great find together." And uh, <laughs> <laughs> father and son. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I I absolutely love that. Um, that's hilarious. The other comment, though, which um, which again will I think lead to other discussion later on, is both of the Wemples in in. So we flashed forward. There's a flash forward here. We we started 1921 and we flash forward to 1932. Um, both the Wemples are together after they've made this grand discovery of the princess, uh, uh, um, the, the new tomb and the, the, the Museum of Cairo has taken uh, all of the material and it's on display. And um, the son is upset that the Cairo Museum had kept everything they found. They said, this is just they, they <laughs> cheated us or something. And, and, and dad says the British Museum works for the cause of science, not for loot. Um, which I, 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 I found amusing too. So there's a, there's this angle here of, 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 you know, these, some characters at least are very, very serious about, about the scientific enterprise that's, uh, uh yeah. that's, that's, that's there. So science. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Yeah. That was, it was interesting how that trope arose, like about the science just automatically always trumps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for my part, uh, the movie was surprising in a lot of ways. And again, you know, um, I'm not too familiar, especially with the classic horror movies. But I, I think I was expecting something that was scarier. And, um, huh, yeah. you know, I expected to be sort of jumping out yeah. of my skin occasionally. And that, and that never happened. Um, and uh, the other thing that really surprised me is the extent to which... So, the... Um, the, the the protagonist, the mummy, Boris Karloff, was such a sympathetic figure in a lot mm. of ways. And oh yeah. It, um, almost to the extent that which I, I was sort of thinking about it, and his his actions throughout the movie, I think, are like, completely justifiable. Mm. Um, you know, so he's motivated <laughs> yeah. by by tragic love, tragic forbidden love. His, um, the the true love is his life. I guess was the daughter of Pharaoh. And he was Pharaoh's chief priest, right? And so it was mm -hmm. forbidden love. And so he was condemned to the most cruel and unusual kind of death, but always sought to reunite with her, to resurrect her and to reunite with her. And then he, um, you know, he's raised from the dead. He goes off. He doesn't even do, you know, he doesn't even do um, the original person who read the spell that revived him 
he does him no harm, right? Um, mm, yeah. Though <laughs> uh, misfortune befalls him, it's uh, I guess he goes crazy, right? He died of yeah. laughter in a straitjacket, I think. Yeah. Was, was yeah. The line. But but the mummy, which is really an eerie, it, it, it's an eerie mm. scene, and that <laughs> that that insane laughter mm. just kind of lingers with you. But you're right, the mummy didn't touch him. Right. No, all you saw was the strip of cloth going out the door, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <clears throat> and then, um, I guess he does he does kill the security guard at the museum, I guess, right? Well, the, 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 it was said that the security guard died of shock. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. even then, he doesn't lay a finger on him. <laughs> and then, yes. um, you know, if in fact uh, the female protagonist, um, sorry, I'm blanking on, on Hel- her name in the Helen movie. Grosvenor is her is her present right. name, right? Yeah, Unksanaman, Unksanaman. Yeah, the different characters pronounce it different ways. It's uh-huh. like Princess Leia in the first Star Wars movie. <laughs> Leah, we have just received um. a report from Princess Leah. Yes, <laughs> I mean, but you know, if she in fact is. Uh, if Helen Grosvenor is, in fact, the Princess Ankes and Amon, um, he's kind of justified in some ways mm. in killing her and bringing yep. her back. Um, so there's a kind of a way in which the villain of the yep. movie is, his motivations are completely unimpeachable. I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm. Yeah, it's, 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 it's not necessarily that he's evil, it's that he's so alien that all of his, uh, all of his goals and motives are just counter to what everyone else wants mm-hmm. in a way that it's 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 not even it's I mean I guess stabbing a living woman right okay that that that's that's probably the boundary at which we're going to have um some lively debate but from his perspective he's just um that that's a necessary step to releasing her to be who she actually is right mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it, it's it's interesting. We should perhaps be polluting this discussion with Frankenstein discussion. Um, yeah. But 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 the comparisons are interesting there, right? Because mm-hmm. um, as you look at Frankenstein uh, and the the creature's actions are all in response to things where we too would feel slighted. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. We too would feel. Uh, abandoned and left out in the world mm-hmm. and um, his relentless pursuit of Victor is of you know you don't feel like there's any tr- problem with that now when he kills Henry Clerval and he kills Victor's wife uh, you know okay we can we can we can debate things well and he kills William um, and I'm going off the book. I've not seen Frankenstein the movie for 30 years, so I can't even remember anything, <laughs> whether it actually right. matches any of the plot of the novel. But, um, right. but Frankenstein, you know, you, there, there's a real humane character there, um, mm-hmm. one who you really can sympathize with, mm-hmm. and in the same way that we do the Mummy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so yeah, certainly the novel. He's very sympathetic. Yeah, absolutely. In, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, there, this this film is often compared to Dracula because, like you pointed out, Todd, mm-hmm. uh, the the director of this film was the, uh, I think the the cinematographer or he, yeah. he he was 
uh, he was part of uh, he was he was the the mind largely responsible for the look of mm-hmm. of Dracula, um, and so the, the there's there's a lot of um, visual beauty in this film. It, it wants us. It seems to want us more to. Um, kind of gaze and wonder mm. than it does to be constantly jumping out of our skin. Mm-hmm. 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 It, it is unique in that way. And it, 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 as I watched it again and sort of thinking back to my own history of, of this, um, it felt just like the other 30s, 40s film noir style movies, right? I mean, there is an artistry here. And there is a, a sedate sort of meandering through the plot um, mm-hmm. that you find yeah. in um, you find in a lot of, of movies of the period. Mm-hmm. Um, and people yeah. don't run. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, even the mummy doesn't run, right? Mm-hmm. He just yeah, went out I, for a little walk. <laughs> I gather that. Um, the yeah. movie itself was like very uh the visual effects were very innovative for the time and a lot of that yes. was freud's particular kind of visual genius mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then one of the other visually interesting things interesting. that happened in the movie is that there's the flashback scene in which they sort of uh unpack some of the backstory of mm-hmm. of the characters i guess that happens about a third of the way in and that's kind of shot in the style of a silent movie i think right right yeah, yeah I, I wondered whether this was um, just my impression, or if it was, uh, if, if if you gentlemen had had a similar one, but it seemed that the um, I, I totally agree about the flashback ad that it it feels it feels like you're watching a film of a different era, mm-hmm. but the um, the prologue set in the twenties, and then the main action of the film, which is kind of set in in present time thirties. Even those seem to have a kind of distinction between them. Hmm. Um, it, it 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 felt to me it, like uh, may, maybe it's just the, uh, the 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 performances of the particular actors. But um, when we transitioned into the thirties, our our young hero seemed much more. Uh, he seemed to me much more casual, hmm. uh, much more up to date than the young man who was in the 20s who mm-hmm. was a who was almost a kind of theatrically nonchalant character that was sort of edging over into Wodehouse in, in some ways. <laughs> oh man. That, um, I, I don't know if, if that was just a result of the performances or if that was intentional. Hmm. Um, but give it, given the given the director's um, careful attention to how the film is being shot um, I don't know. Maybe maybe we're uh, may, maybe we're not too far off when we attribute intention to things like that. Yeah. Mm. Any standout performances in here? I mean, definitely Boris Karloff, even if he doesn't move that much. Hmm. Hmm. Well, he he stares a lot. He, well, no, he only stared once. They only filmed that once, apparently. Really? Yeah. I mean, That's so the glowing eyes stare—the one when you know something's going to happen—that's mm-hmm. one. Yeah. That's one shot that was repeated. Ah, okay. Oh, is that right? It. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, his, uh, you know, his his character is, is 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 very well played. I I happen to I I, I guess I really liked F- Father uh, Wimple. You know, the, uh, Dad Wimple. Mm. I mean, he he um, 
there was, I guess, a genuineness in the way that it, you know, his character comes across. Mm -hmm. Where the younger guys are all, they're a little brash. Um, yeah. For my part. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, on the on the contrary, I kind of I kind of feel like uh, Helen's a little overwrought. But then, but, <laughs> <laughs> but then I, you know, I looked at a couple of clips of her other films, and that just seems to be the way that this actress works. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> Apparently, yeah, she was a very successful stage actress, uh, and um, okay. and was married to John Houseman. Uh, actually, uh, married to John Houseman at the time of this film. Hmm. Um, which I, uh, I ran across that fact. I thought that was a little funny. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There are all yeah, these stories about conflict on the set between her and the director. Hmm. Yeah. The uh, the stage acting may explain some of it. Hmm. Um, she's if, if she's used to performing for an audience mm -hmm. that's, you know, 40, 50 feet away, mm -hmm. not a camera that's, you know, 10 feet away. Mm -hmm. Right. Um. I, I like I kind of find the young men, especially uh, the young man in the present time. He's he's kind of boring. Mm -hmm. I, I I find his character kind of perfunctory. Like we needed a young romantic interest so that um, so that the the woman is it has got some direction to move other than the direction mm -hmm. of our um, other than the direction of the monster. Mm -hmm. um, which, from from what I've, uh, that that's pretty much the role. I, th I think it's, uh, I'd, I'd have to, I'd have to pull it up, but I think it's the same guy who's in Actra, or who's in, uh, who's in Dracula, David. Oh, really? M David right? Manor, I think his name. That's interesting, is? David Manners. Yeah, that's, yeah, David that's, Manners. That's I th Frank Wimble. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think he's, I think he's also in. Uh, I think he's also in Dracula, um, which, yeah, playing playing basically the same role. He he was. Uh, I just checked it out. Yeah, mm. yeah, he was. Interesting. Was he yes. better? Was he better in Dracula? I have to say, I have to find. <laughs> I found his character to be um, just com just completely thin. And, yeah. Uh, you know, so when he f first has the encounter with yeah. Helen, and he's like, "Oh, I love you so much," and. Um, yeah. He moves really fast, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, but there's just... Uh, it's obligatory. I don't understand what her attraction to his... You know, what was so powerful about him that drew her out of the grip of a 3,000-year-old yeah. love with this, right. you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yes. I don't know. Just some yeah, young yeah. guy there, you know. I mean, we don't get the we don't we don't get the under we actually don't get the backstory of her because I I still wonder why yeah. she is, mm. uh, why she's under the care of the doctor. Um, right. Yeah. One one I assume that it's a some mental uh, issue, um, but mm. maybe maybe she's I mean this is Cairo after all maybe she's there for the the climate uh, because she's well, got it wasn't some her. Yeah, wasn't her father a, a a governor in? Oh, where did they say? Was it the, was it the Sudan that they Correct. sent? Correct. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I okay. That's right. So, so her father was British and her mother was Egyptian. Is that? Yes. yes. Yeah, you yeah, know, that's... and I have to say that that particular observation is a nice uh, a nice point in a lot of ways, right? Because 
you know, I guess the idea is that like she she's kind of undergone the schizophrenia because she is in fact mm. a reincarnated Egyptian princess from three thousand years ago. Right. And right. So the idea that she sort of needs constant medical mm-hmm. supervision is kind of interesting. And she's not happy about no. it. Right. There's one there's there's one scene where she says something like, I'm not a child. I can go if I want to. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I have to with, say uh, the the bit about how she is, in fact, the reincarnated Princess uh, Ankh S. and Amon is, was confusing to me. And I, that, was that ever explained? Like, how is it that she ended up reincarnated? Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I guess it just works scenes, that way. Right? Yeah, I mean, um, there, there was more. I mean, there was, there was, I mean, it, as I looked at it, because I, I read, um, uh, David, you had sent out something um, a few yeah. days mm-hmm. ago, and there apparently were a bunch of scenes that actually showed the progression through various yeah. lives yeah. that she had had that were that yeah. are the cutting room floor, I, yeah. as it yeah. were. Um, so it's but, sort of the the twin souls pursuing each other through the ages thing. Well, I, I yeah, I, I suppose I suppose so. Um, I I didn't actually. Uh, you know, because the the video that you sent is one person's interpretation of these various stills that they still have from the from, from the filming. But um, I don't know if it'd be interesting to see the actual screenplay to find right, out what right. the intent of those was. Yeah. Um, because when you know, it, you know, Ed, you're right in this reincarnation where th- there's this big leap where she goes off to. Ardath Bay, who's the you know the mummy, um, mm-hmm. and Which, it's his place, and she's mm-hmm. all of a sudden she's dressed in you know <laughs> in her ancient Egyptian clothing, yeah, um, yeah. and so like, the, 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 I mean that's that's, a, that's some serious hip- hypnosis right there, <laughs> yeah. You know? right. yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's but but I mean in the story like in mm-hmm. the original flashback, so. Uh, Imhotep is caught in this forbidden love and is condemned to this gruesome death by Pharaoh. But, like, nothing happens to her, right? Well, she she, uh, she died. She just... So I, she, I, I think oh, she oh, had died. Right. No, yeah, but, her, Be- but that was, like, more... Like, that was a natural death. It was a natural yeah. death, and he was... He was the yeah, reason he was died. condemned was because he was reading the, the scroll of Toad. Trying to... So, trying yeah, to re- yeah. reincarnate right, her, right, 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 right. But but there was nothing that or was resurrect in the story her, that explained why she would be subject to this unusual reincarnation. No, I don't think I there was. Well, especially since the whole point of it is resurrection via, you know, deep secret Egyptian magic, mm-hmm. um, the secrets of the gods to bring the dead to life. Mm-hmm. But then you throw this reincarnation thing in there, and you're like, huh? <laughs> Okay, um, I mean, I, I think there might be some explanations for that, which, I, which, um, uh, I mean, maybe, maybe this is a good time to get into it. I know this is not exactly the, the, the order of topics as I sent it out, but we've kind of, mm-hmm. we've kind of transitioned into it. Um, I mean, my understanding is that the actual Egyptian religious beliefs about the afterlife. Um, did not include reincarnation. Um, that the afterlife is a kind of other world that you go into, and it's one of the reasons why 
um, the Egyptians were uh, Egyptian kings, and uh, those of those of wealth and importance were buried with so many particular kinds of grave goods. It was um, basically packing their bags for the future. Mm. Um, that's why they, they have all those uh, tiny little statues in Egyptian tombs, the, the, the Shabti or Ushabti. Um, they are servant statues so that in the, in, the, in the afterlife, in the future, you actually have employees so that you don't have to do your own labor. <laughs> hmm. um, I could use some of those right now. <laughs> <laughs> Forget the afterlife. I got to get through this. Yeah, <laughs> yes, Shabti, do this. Shabti, great for me. <laughs> um, uh, it, uh, I, 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 you had asked about this in the pre-show discussion, Ed, and uh, were you able to find any kind of indications for why why the reincarnation, the I, I, I guess. You know, you might kind of throw scare quotes. Oriental spirituality um, angle gets played in this film. Is there is there something at the back of this? Yeah, no, I I don't think I I found anything. Um, some okay. of the literature on the mummy sort of talk about the genesis of the mm -hmm. of the story, and um, again, U Universal Pictures had had great success with the Dracula. And the Frankenstein movies, they were looking to make another one, and uh, uh, the Tutankhamun had find had happened in the um, in the early twenties. Is that right? But then nineteen twenty one, yeah, yeah, and then and then was really filling public imagination, and so they were they decided, well, let's do a let's do an Egyptian mummy movie. But I like the original script started off with this story about uh, a. Italian medieval alchemist um, who had kept himself yeah. alive chemically, right? Not through magic. Mm. Yeah. And then yeah, the, um, the Cagliostro plot. Yeah, they called. Yeah, exactly. And then somehow they morph that into um, this story of Egyptian um, uh, resurrection through magic. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I that theme of reincarnation so I don't know if that was just in the air in the 30s that people were just interested in that and so a mm -hmm. movie with a resurrection theme would have just been the most natural thing in the world in mm. 1932 yeah. I, I, I you you mentioned theosophy in in your in your mm. in your in the show notes here uh, yeah. David yeah. and I, I do wonder whether th that movement might explain some of this because in so uh, theosophy is uh, there, there was a, a group known as the Theosophical Society or something mm -hmm. founded in Britain by uh, Madame Blavatsky who traveled throughout Asia and Northern Africa uh, in the Middle East um, and has you know in her in this 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 philosophy this mm -hmm. this cultic system really um has a sort of a grand melange of hindu yeah. and as well as middle eastern religions all sort right. of stirred up in a melting pot as it were um and so you know her she's got this major this major work of hers is actually called isis unveiled yeah. Um, and <laughs> there is uh, her, you know, her, 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 
preferred, I guess, system mm. of thought is what she refers to several times as a universal wisdom religion. Um, and there are Egyptian elements in there interspersed with a lot that would be uh, more more Hindu uh, influenced, where you do have a pra uh, you know a, a philosophy of that includes reincarnation. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it's 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 interesting too, just to connect ourselves really directly to Egypt. Um, that her call in that work was to embrace what's known as Hermetic philosophy, which mm -hmm. has this uh, sort of an evolution in reverse of man from higher beings. Um, and Hermetic is 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 in reference to Hermes, or Hermes mm -hmm. Trismegistus which mm -hmm. is some sort of semi-legendary character who lived in Egypt, who is known to the Egyptians as Thoth, which yep. is the name of the scroll <laughs> that's playing at the beginning. Mm. And to tie this back to the last episode of Christian Humanist, or the, the last, have you done the Clement episode, episode yet or not? Um, we, we have... Uh, recorded but not posted or... Uh, w w we we had some difficulties uh, uh, on the on the day of recording. Namely, I'd lost my voice. <laughs> um. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh about that. That's not very nice. But Cle <laughs> but Clement of Alexandria actually refers to the writings that are supposedly from this Hermes Trismegistus, who's known also as Toth. So, it's it 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 all kinds of melds together. <laughs> here in some sense. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't, I know nothing about whether yeah. that's a, a reason for reincarnation to yeah. be brought in, but the parallels are pretty striking. Well, it's, it's, um, it's interesting because uh, Blavatsky and theosophy, it's kind of a, kind of a hot thing in the late 19th century, mm -hmm. the very beginning of the 20th. Mm -hmm. um, but it had become almost a trope in fiction. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I don't know if you guys are Agatha Christie fans. Um, but I, you know, I, I read so much Agatha Christie as a teenager. Mm. Um, but the, the great aunt who is just kind of crazy about spiritualism and reincarnation mm -hmm. and thinks that she's mm -hmm. a reborn Egyptian princess is almost as much as a, a, of a trope of that kind of cozy British mystery as the grumpy old Anglo Indian colonel with gout. <laughs> you know, it's, mm. it's, th there's, there's so many of these crazy theosophist ants. <laughs> in um, the it, it it seems like it had just kind of worked its way into into the pop culture. Um, there's actually a an Arthur Conan Doyle novel called The Jewel of Seven Stars, hmm. um, in which um, the mummy of an Egyptian princess is brought back to Egypt, but there seems to be a very clear. Um, reincarnation connection be between this living girl and the household of the antiquarian who has the mummy and the mummy herself. Hmm. They seem to be, um, and by the, by the end of the novel, they've almost entirely merged. And this is, um, hmm. I mean, this is, sorry, not Arthur Conan Doyle, um, Bram Stoker. How'd that mistake happen? <laughs> um, it's connected to Dracula again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At least you yeah, didn't say Bela Lugosi. <laughs> oh man, I'm getting all my famous names mixed up. <laughs> no, Arthur, Arthur and Conan Doyle had a had a short story about about a mummy who had lived into the present day and was working in a museum because the mummy of his beloved was in the museum. Oh, is that yeah. right? And what year was yeah. that written? Um, 
Oh, that that was. Uh, I don't I don't know the date, but it was definitely pre the Mummy. Well, that's just a ripoff uh, then in some ways. Well, but see, here's here's the thing: is um, that there's these things that are kind of in the culture. So by the time you get to the 30s, uh-huh. who knows what the screenwriters uh-huh. wrote? Uh-huh. Re- wh- who knows what they had read? Um, heck, I found, um, and nobody talks about this when they're writing about the mummy, and I am so proud. Hmm. Um, it's a novel from 1917 called A King in Babylon. Hmm. About a, a silent film director who decides his next movie is going to be about an expedition to Egypt in which the the archaeologist is digging up a grave and realizes as he's doing it that he is the reincarnation of the pharaoh in the grave and that that the the there's another mummy in the tomb who is uh who is the his his lover whom he had punished by walling up alive <laughs> and so um in in the novel the actors that play the actor that plays the archaeologist and the actress that plays the the lover mummy they they actually start to kind of submerge themselves into the roles to the point where it seems almost as if the screenplay is real mm. mm-hmm. um and this is from 1917 huh. uh it's uh but but i've never heard anybody mention this in connection with the mummy so again i who who knows? It just mm. seems like there's a lot of this stuff that's just in the air of the culture, so to speak. That's so funny. It's it's weird to me though that that they get that they that they keep pulling reincarnation mm. into their Egyptian spirituality mm-hmm. when the Egyptian views of the afterlife are so yeah, yeah. so clearly mapped out. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's and very not strange. about that at all. Hmm. Um. We've mentioned um, we've mentioned Tutankhamun yeah. and the the influence of the the craze surrounding Tutankhamun um, in the decade preceding the mummy. Um, you mentioned uh, being interested in this angle, Todd. What yeah. Kind of, what 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 Tutankhamun lore is uh, essential for us to make sense of the mummy? <laughs> well, so um, well, first things. I mean, there's a there's an absolutely direct connection, right, with this with this uh, with this film because the screenplay is written by a journalist who was mm-hmm. who was on the expedition uh, with Howard Carter in '21. Um, nice. So that uh, that angle is 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 really interesting, and actually, you know, the several of the markers of uh, you know uh, of of that expedition are here in this. Um, it's, um, it, it is, you know, Howard Carter, when he comes upon the tomb of Tutankhamun, uh, was just about to give up. Apparently I, hmm. I, I read hmm. that, um, you know, the, so first world war, he, he, I mean, he, he had been an archeologist for a long time. First world war interrupts everything, but he returns to Egypt after the war. And he's got this, um, this, um, benefactor, um, whose name is Carnavron. I, I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, and he was uh, basically about to pull the plug on Carter's, uh, Carter's work because he wasn't coming up with anything. Mm-hmm. And in the in the in the sort of present day 1932 
um, the, the beginning of that scene there, um, Wemple, the young Wemple, is in Egypt like his dad before him. Um, mm-hmm. And he's not enjoying any success. He just, you know, he complains mm-hmm. about all we're finding is shards of pottery, which is interesting, uh, given given the... the <laughs> given the, isn't the, that archaeology? Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, and then it actually... That, that, in the in the in the 1921 scenes, Dad Wemple is telling the assistant, who the one who goes crazy, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, all we have is pottery, and isn't this wonderful? This is science. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> so young Wemple is not of that mind, um, and he's having no success at all. Um, they've just basically, uh, at least in his in his mind, and clearly he's interested in the sensational. Um, and Ardath Bay, who is the, you know, the, the mummy, um, come back to life appears at the door with this piece of pottery that has, uh, Anka name on it. And, uh, he leads him to the place where he says they'll find the tomb and they do. And what they find first is a bunch of steps leading down to a door, which is what Carter found. Um, and, when cool. when the guys are there at the tomb door, they realize it's Ankasanaman's tomb, and he says, "Wait, my father should be here mm-hmm. while we, uh, while we, you know, b- before we open this up." And that's exactly what Carter did. Carter waited around until his patron arrived to pull back the, you know, pull back the opening of the of the tomb. At least this is what is reported. Um. So uh, I, I I just I found that actually really fascinating. Um, one of the reasons why I I, th- I think I um, just find this archaeological angle uh, and and the whole King Tut thing interesting is because I went to the King Tut exhibit in Seattle in 1978 when it came. Mm. Um, cool. And so I remember that distinctly. Um, mm-hmm. I remember, you know, they had this uh, mock-up of the tomb room. So you walk down these 16 steps into the, in, into the, uh, the room. Um, and, um, and I, you know, I was all, also enough of a rebel that I would occasionally stay up and watch Saturday Night Live. So the Steve Martin King Tut song is, is, is in my memories. But um, <laughs> you know, in the in 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 the twenty you know the twenties and thirties, King Tut was huge. Mm. I mean, there was there was a massive uh, fascination with all things Egyptian. That it, if you really look back, it it goes back beyond. I should have turned my phone off. That'll get chopped, of course. Um, I, uh, you know, there's a there's a fascination with with the, these things from the Middle East since Napoleon, right? I mean, Napoleon right. goes in conquest, yeah. intentionally bringing with him a segment of his invading army that's dedicated to plundering the Egyptians. Mm. Um, <laughs> And, and, you know, and, he brings back obelisks and all of these, you know, things from uh, 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 that they discover as they as they dig and, and as he goes off and conquers militarily or whatever. Um, and the, it's interesting that when the British prevail and eventually become the colonial power over Egypt, that they, too, see it as their task to continue to plunder the Egyptians and take all kinds of things back to, to Britain. Um, 
And so really sort of in the in the late 19th century, you know, the it, it, British society is is filled with this interest. And, and you you've mentioned, actually, I, I don't think this is disconnected from the fascination with the Greeks um, that the Romantics had. Mm-hmm. You know, right. Um, mm-hmm. I'm remembering your ode on a Grecian, uh, Grecian urn episode where you talked about that um, as, mm-hmm. at some length. Um in the yeah, it's about yeah. this time that mm-hmm. you actually start seeing in cemeteries in Britain and America obelisks and pyramids mm-hmm. instead of normal uh, kind of kind of the more ordinary pseudo gothic or even classical mausoleums. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, yeah, it's it's really an, an an interesting an interesting cultural phenomenon. Oh, it definitely is. Um, I you know one thing that that jumped out at me. Two was when I when I, you know, just looking at period pictures from the twenties and whatever, the, the the whole flapper fashion. That all looks very Egyptian. There's hmm. this, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the they're all suddenly wearing tiaras or or little, um, uh, you know, jewels on the the front of their forehead. Mm-hmm. Um, the dresses are all very plain, stick straight, whatever. You go look at at Egyptian art, you see dresses of that sort um you know helen and the actress is wearing this well she's not wearing much in some places but you know she's wearing this dress that's very true enough um i actually found that very interesting that that got by the censors to be honest um she's pretty uh well she's dressed for for the period i guess um but but you know the 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 dress is 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 patterned to some degree after this um, King, you know, King Tut comes in. They're marketing things up the wazoo, right? There's soap <laughs> that is that is coming from Egypt. <laughs> There's eyeshadow and lipstick that are descending mm. from Egyptian traditions. Um, it, it 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 just suddenly became something really, really, really big. Um, and I and I think it probably was tapping into an interest that was already there, which is why I go back to Napoleon, really. Um, but when King Tut is, is discovered, you know, then all of a sudden there's this very quintessential sort of uh, American thing where King Tut is really uh, the big the, the big craze of the time. Um, but things Egyptian had been looked back, you know, uh, looked at for, mm-hmm. for quite some time. Mm. Um, I don't know if now is the time to talk about Joseph Smith, but <laughs> <laughs> going well, back to I the think 1850s. We... But. We'll we'll have to see what we have what we have time for. Yeah. Um, I, I I think this is this is this is definitely one that we could chase for for a significant uh, a significant portion. But I oh think yeah. we, we we still have some some other things to to point out. Of course. Um, one of the things that I'm interested in, and see, I did not find this out actually until I was literally preparing for um, this morning and like the hour before we recorded. Um, So Boris Karloff had been uh, his first, I think his first major role had been the previous year, um, 1931. Frankenstein? Yeah, as Frankenstein's monster. And that was kind of the one I knew about, and I was thinking, okay, are there... What kind of similarities or differences are there between him and Imhotep? What I didn't realize is that there was another role in 1931, um, 
which might make some even more interesting and maybe controversial comparisons. Uh, Boris Karloff in 1931 had played the title role in a movie called The Mask of Fu Manchu. Mm-hmm. And when I when I read that, I thought, click. <laughs> huh. So, what f- do we see any Frankenstein here? Um, before we before we talk about the other, what what Frankenstein might be in this film? Well, I mean the the two things that jumped out at me immediately. One of which we've already one of which we already talked about, and and that is, um, I I, I think the the it may be in his acting. It may just be in my you know reception. Uh, but he he does present a sympathetic picture, you know, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Be, because the poor guy is <laughs> the poor guy is, uh, is 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 left alone. And I I I, I do believe, and I, I again I'm I'm so much more wrapped up in the novel because we teach it in one of the courses I teach um, just about every year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do see that that coming out to some degree, I think, in the film. Um, but also his just his physical presence. I mean, mm-hmm. he's very tall, gaunt, um, moves slowly. <laughs> you know, right. I, 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 you know, I, I, I see it when 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 Ardeth Bay first appears, I immediately am brought back to Frankenstein. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. but those are yeah. I, I don't know. Those are fairly simple yeah. observations. I don't know what you know. One that I expected to see, hmm. and honestly, I think it was because I projected things from later movies. Um, I expected him to see to, to, to for him to do that arm sticking straight out ahead mm. mum, <laughs> mummy lurch thing, right? Which you also associate with Frankenstein. Like hmm. I, I was fully cued to see hmm. that and it isn't in this movie. Did that surprise you, Ed? Oh, it did, yeah, for sure. I, I, I was, um, I, mean, I mean, where, I, I guess that particular, um, like that particular image probably comes out in later Mummy movies. Yeah, um, yeah. That's a whole other thing, I suppose, like the various, that we could talk about, the various different versions of the Mummy movies mm. that followed. But, yeah, um, we need, definitely and you need don't, to chase that one. You don't get, that's the that's the other sort of striking thing about the movie that like the the title character appears in just a couple minutes at the very beginning of the movie um at least w- when he's in his glorified uh halloween costume covered in right. bandages <laughs> right um, but uh and then you, all you see of him moving where you would expect the arm straight out at the very beginning you just see the trailing bandages i think as he's going out the door but you never see him walking mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really, you know, again, the thing that was most surprising to me was just um, how sympathetic a character he was, mm-hmm. and um, and 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 played as such by by Boris Karloff. Mm-hmm. Had uh, had either of you heard about the the his his role in Mask of Fu Manchu in the year before that? No, I had just, I saw, I don't know that I've ever heard of that movie, but I saw it mm-hmm. mentioned in something that I read about the mummy mm-hmm. movie. 
and it, noting that it was, um, I mean, by the time that The Mummy was made, Karloff, I think, was a big star. Um, he had but but it had only been for like a, a, a year. Oh, was, yeah, yeah. So that's sort of one striking thing of it. But he had first billing. He was listed mm -hmm. only by last name on the, the really spectacular classic movie poster. Right. Um, but uh, but I had I'd seen Fu Manchu mentioned and that listed as sort of as part of this string of uh, Universal Pictures movie hits. Mm -hmm. But he he was Fu Manchu. And it, it, that was interesting to me. It, it, I, I don't know if this is um, if it struck you struck you all this way. But if if what was in viewers heads as they went into this movie was Frankenstein, they're going to expect Karloff to be a particular kind of monster, which mm -hmm. he isn't. Mm -hmm. um, he's very, it, it, it's not just that he's sympathetic, something that you say he shares with Frankenstein's monster, Todd, mm -hmm. but that he's articulate and he's profoundly intellectual. Mm -hmm. um, it, in every scene mm -hmm. that he's in, except for like the first one, <laughs> Uh, but in every see that he, scene that he's in, you get the impression that's the smartest guy in the room. Mm -hmm. That's the most. That's the most personally, charismatically, intellectually, even emotionally powerful person in the room. Even though he is so still and so quiet. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, which well, yeah, I thought would have been surprising if all you'd seen was Frankenstein, mm -hmm. but maybe less so. Um, with uh, with the Fu Manchu role, which Fu Manchu is um, among among other 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 things typical of that role, Fu Manchu is a very cerebral character. Mm. So maybe uh, maybe it was less surprising um, than others. It, it's 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 interesting because what <laughs> and that is the way uh, not in the movie. Mm -hmm. Frankenstein, but that is the way that I pictured the creature in the novel mm -hmm. is as probably the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> you uh, know, I mean, he, he is well educated. He is mm -hmm. very articulate. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, I, I just wonder where his own persona with this part, where does it really come from? Mm -hmm. You know, how did he decide to play this role? Um, in the way that it, in, in, in the, the way, way it's written. It, yeah, 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 mm. yeah. I don't know. Like I, I said, I haven't read the, sc the screenplay, so I don't know if that's. If well, that's it, ma it made me uncomfortable when I read it because I hadn't really been thinking of him that way. Mm. But um, I mean, when you when when you put Fu Manchu in the mix, he starts to look like the the intimidating um, sort of pulp fiction oriental mastermind of that mm. era mm -hmm. um, which uh, from 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 the things that I was reading uh, apparently uh, the Chinese embassy was complaining about fast mask of Fu Manchu when it came out mm -hmm. um, so it was not something that you know we had to wait for some generations before the American culture kind of caught up to that being offensive mm. Um, apparently, it was it was strong enough in the period that uh, that there were actually complaints then. Mm -hmm. And is his character in that movie? I mean, is he appealing anyway, or is he? Um, so he's intelligent, but it, but mm -hmm. it sounds like he's sort of devious and plotting. Is he appealing in any way, or is he just? 
Well, I I I haven't been able to f- um I haven't been able to get the movie. It's mm. it's very difficult to to you can find it on like Amazon, but it's a, it's on DVD or it's on mm. VHS. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, I I haven't found a place where you can um, where you can find it online. Um, but it was an, it just an, an, uh, a historically a, a controversial film. It w- it's only been within the last um, you know decade or so that the originally released film was available because um, in in later uh, re-releases um, in theaters and in recorded versions, uh, they'd actually cut out some of the scenes that were the most kind of over the top. But Fu Manchu is, um, uh, Sax Romer is the author. Fu Manchu was a... Uh, a, ch- a Chinese criminal mastermind mm. character huh. in a whole in a whole series of novels in which basically all of Asia works for him regardless of cultural difference. Um, uh, it's 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 kind of that they're they're kind of bizarre uh, in in the way they they basically gloss over everything basically to the east of Poland. <laughs> <laughs> as under the thumb of Fu Manchu, mm-hmm. um, Russians, Indians, uh, the Middle East, ev- everybody apparently in the Orient um, is on Fu Manchu's payroll. Huh. Part That's of part of the Yellow Scare mm-hmm. of the nineteenth, early twentieth century. And and in the twenties, so late twenties is Charlie Chan time, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's yeah. interesting. Moira Oland. Um, huh. See, I, I knew that um, uh, Boris Karloff later played a uh, a Chinese detective named James Wong, who operates in California's China uh, or uh, in uh, in Chinatown in San, uh, San Francisco, I guess. Mm. Um, I don't remember. I think it's specified. Hmm. Um, so he 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 also played uh, a a more positive character even though a still stereotypical character mm-hmm. um, at that time and interestingly enough and this is actually one of my favorites from that from that period I think it's early 40s um, he was replaced in the James Wong role by uh, Key Luke who played uh, the sidekick to the Green Hornet oh, uh-huh. in the serials um, who was uh, who was actually a, a, a pretty prolific Asian American actor, and when he takes over the role, it's astonishing how, uh, within the context of the Hollywood of the day, it's astonishing how straight he plays the role. Hmm. Um, there's there's no there's none of this Charlie Chan butchering uh, butchering grammar or constantly invoking Confucius. Mm-hmm. He's <laughs> <laughs> he's he's just a guy who happens to be Asian in California, hmm. just like um. me. <laughs> <laughs> but you actually are. I am, in fact, an Asian in California. Yes, and right. My grammar is uh, pretty good, but unlike Boris Karloff, yes, <laughs> who was not only not an Asian in California, he also was not a Russian in California. <laughs> he's 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 British. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, yeah. Hmm. 
have 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 either of you seen um, Karloff in in many of his other roles um, other than Frankenstein? The the only the, the the role that I knew him by, uh, sadly, <laughs> is as the narrator in The Grinch Stole Christmas, right? Oh <laughs> yes. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That that's go. the that that uh, other there than the horror films, that's the first. <laughs> The first contact, uh, and so it, it's only horror that I know him, really, mm-hmm. really. But he's—I mean—he's prolific, right? I mean, he's got yeah hundreds of movies. It's, it seems like a lot of TV mm-hmm. too, right? Yep, yep. Uh, a um, lot, a lot of TV. Yeah, I'm just looking at his filmography, and it's—it gets its own page. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, he was astonishingly prolific uh, until in the. Oh, in the 60s, he's in a lot of Roger Corman films with mm. Vincent Price um, and, you know, other other kind of the, the stalwarts of that era. But he's so old by that point that in many of his roles, um, he acts almost entirely from a chair. Hmm. Um, but he's still, he's, he's still Boris Karloff. He's still got that voice, mm-hmm. and he still has that stare. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so much oh. of his, uh, so much of his, uh, his power. I think mm. um, those eyes under that brow. Right. Does he ever well, play against type? Hmm. Uh, I want to say I read that in one of his early roles, he actually plays a romantic lead. Uh-huh. <laughs> Interesting. But after Frankenstein, he was so typecast. Oh, yeah. There was there was not really any way of going back. I remember um, seeing him in The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, which I, 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 I've mm-hmm. watched countless times. I think because it was mm-hmm. like on Cinemax all the mm-hmm. time when I was in high school. And so, um, <laughs> and I very much like that movie, but he, he plays not mm-hmm. a monster figure, but another nefarious character. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I think it's the voice. Mm-hmm. Um. And, it, and he's so good at it. It's like if you could imagine Vincent Price playing a sympathetic romantic lead. Um, <laughs> I, I, I simply can't with that voice. Um, yeah. Well, I'm going to have to look up some of these things because he apparently played King Arthur in a Connecticut Yankee on TV. Oh, <laughs> that's... In 1955. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, good luck, good luck tracking that down. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, let's talk about some other mo- mummy movies. We uh, we talked about the Brendan Fraser film. Um, you you j- you just watched that last night, Ed. Uh, last night, I had a long day, and it was kind of just one of those things in which I need to decompress. So we sit up later than wise people would have watching a movie that no <laughs> <laughs> that no responsible person would watch it that hour. <laughs> and again, it was just as good as I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what do we what do we want to say about uh, that film's handling of mummy type things? The story is, uh, I mean, the underlying mythology is remarkably similar mm-hmm. to the underlying the the mummy movie. It's 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 similar. I guess though, in this version of the story, um, the princess Anka Senaman and um, Imhotep are caught by Pharaoh in a loving embrace, and then they mm-hmm. murder Pharaoh. Yeah. So that's one thing that happens in the movie. And then Pharaoh's bodyguards um, 
Uh, what, what happens? Uh, the princess rescues or attempts to rescue Imhotep by sending him off and says, run away, I'll, I'll, I'll fend them off and then resurrect me from the dead. And he mm -hmm. does that, but then in the act of resurrecting her from the dead, he's caught by Pharaoh's bodyguards and mm. condemned. Um, yeah. I can also say princesses in ancient Egypt, in this version of it, dress more or less like Victoria's secret models. <laughs> <laughs> Though a lot, a lot more ink. <laughs> uh, well, a little, yeah, a little bit more, um, but maybe less clothes, actually, if that's possible. Yeah. Um, I, uh, well, the, uh, when, when this particular film, uh, came out, um, in, in, in my lifespan, I was sort of in my early twenties and, uh, there was still, uh, a, a certain, uh, a certain thrill at that moment, even though, you know, I, I was, you know, well past adolescence, it was still nonetheless, <laughs> Oh, well, well, there you go. Hmm. Um, I can also say that I've ridden the mummy roller coaster ride at Universal Studios in uh, California, <laughs> and it's a pretty good roller coaster. <laughs> the roller coaster is better than the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's got it's like nice. dark. It's scary. Yeah. Hmm. I, the, the thing that's always bothered me about that movie is why on earth does the mummy have the powers of Moses's 10 plagues. Yeah, that also, <laughs> yeah, that bothered me a lot. It's like, wait a second, this is a little bit. <laughs> and like, is Imhotep just like, is he just ripping off Moses? Did like Moses teach him some tricks? I mean, what's, what's, what's going on here? Cause the only, I mean, the only way that those are plagues of Egypt is cause they were plagues on Egypt, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's, it's like, Somebody went into this film with nothing but a cursory viewing of the old movie plus dim memories of Sunday school when they didn't pay much attention. Or maybe they watched the Ten Commandments on, you know, TMC once. <laughs> or is it, is, it, is it TCM, Turner Classic? Yeah, yeah, it's TCM, Turner Classic Movies. Yeah. Now I love. Um, I I like the tone of that film. It feels a lot more like um, the adventure serials of the '30s and '40s. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, with the with the humor the humor angles. In yeah. fact, they were um, the mummy. The original mummy franchise was playing that humor angle um, as early as the first mummy sequel, The Mummy's Hand, in 1940. Mm. Um, there is a, a kind of a stalwart action hero character with a humorous New York sidekick um, and uh, a, a stage, an older stage magician with his spunky daughter. And it's, it's very, it's, 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 a, it's a, a weird tone shift from the 32 film, but it feels very, very 40s in the same way. Uh, that the mummy feels very early 1930s. Hmm. Yeah. You you were talking about Abbott and Costello meets the mummy. <laughs> have you seen that, Todd? Have you actually seen it? Uh, I have seen parts of it. I've never watched it. Sat down to watch the whole thing. Um, Was Boris Karloff in it? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, no, I actually I don't know if that's 
I don't know if that's true. I thought I just saw oh. that. Um... Well, Boris Karloff did do, uh, he did do a couple of Abbott and Costello films. I just, oh. I, d I didn't think he oh, was. Oh, that's in this right. One. That's that's the difference. Yeah. I mean, Abbott. You know, how many Abbott and Costello meets so and so films are there? I mean, and th uh, this one is apparently the last one. Well, that's a, that's our next Christian Humanist Radio Network crossover, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess I think you should do the Three Stooges myself, but um, uh, uh. Uh, sorry, that was really inadvertent. Um, but you know the, the the bits the bits of the Abbott and Costello meet the Mummy movie that I've seen. Um, it really feels like okay, Abbott and Costello. It's time to stop doing these because <laughs> mm -hmm. they've done. They uh, according to Wikipedia here. I mean, they they say this is the last of twenty eight. Is it Tw really twenty eight? <laughs> Wait, twenty eight. Twenty eight Abbott and Costello films that Oof. Universal did. Um, wow. and they're they're That's you know it's nineteen nineteen fifty five is when it comes out. Um, and it just feels like they're rehearsing the old gags, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. Gosh, so, that's I mean, a lot of movies in a series that's got, I mean, what movies have more sequel or more movies in a, in yeah. a series like than that? Uh, there can't be very, <laughs> there can't, can't be very be many, lot. you know? I mean, yeah. there were a lot of Charlie, speaking of Charlie Chan again, there was a lot of Charlie Chan, right? But I mean, I don't know that it was this many. Yeah, but each um, of those was like an hour long, and it was mm -hmm. before a lot of them were really before television. So yeah. it was kind of that that point when movie theaters um, were were doing a lot of the things that television does now. Exactly. Yep. Kind of quick, continuous productions with yep. consistent characters. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, maybe that explains the Abbott and Costello. Um, it, well, it could. It, it went well into the fifties, though. Um, Right, right. You know, the first one is Buck Privates, I think. Um, that's, you know, there's a bunch of war films, you know. And mm -hmm. then and then as the, you know, I think it's as the, the Hammer Films versions of the of the horror films come in, then suddenly mm -hmm. Abbott and Costello, Abbott and Costello, Abbott and Costello, you know, the, the Invisible Man is one. Um, okay. <laughs> there's one called Abbott and Costello Meet the Killer, Boris Koloff. <laughs> Ah, uh, <laughs> nice. So yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, crazy well, stuff back then. Well, this has been a lot of fun, gentlemen. But I see uh, Times Winged Chariot is hurrying at my back, um, or maybe maybe it's that 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 crazy chariot that carries off carries off the mummy at the end of the Brendan Fraser movie. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, well, as we round this out, um, do we want to make any? Uh, any any last points, interesting things in the movie that we haven't managed to discuss, or recommendations for reading or viewing, or um, is this is this something our our listeners um, uh, re really ought to see, not just out of a sense of completion, but because it's enjoyable? Ed, oh, I, I again, as someone who is a self-confessed. Um, I, I'm, I'm afraid of horror movies, um, ah. but but I, but I found it's it's always interesting to sort of delve back into the classic movies and look at like the filmmaking techniques. Um, I, the movie was super interesting, and it's 
in like the twists on the genre. And uh, mm-hmm. I guess we've talked yep. about it, um, but uh, the performance is really remarkable. Um, mm. There, I, I don't think it's a monster movie. Actually, I, like I think mm. it's a mistake to think of it as being um, yeah. a war movie or, or a monster movie. I don't I don't know exactly what kind of genre it automatically slips into, but it's mm. it's not those things. Maybe a more serious psychological drama disguised yeah. as a monster movie. That's. Uh, that's a great description, and if they had played up the psychological aspects of it, I think it would mm-hmm. be it would have been a really remarkable film, mm-hmm. um, like really bringing out uh, Helen Grosvenor's the extent to which she's psychologically torn. She's schizophrenic. Yeah. She doesn't really know who she is. Um, mm. There were a lot of moments where where you know it's it's in the last third of the film, but where she's yeah. got that internal wrestling going on between you know between her two persons in mm-hmm. some in, in some mm-hmm. sense that mm-hmm. yeah I, I it still feels too little too late i i I, mm. th- I think i'm with ed that there's some there's some untapped potential in that oh, yeah. in that vein yeah. Oh, yeah if the frank wemple character had been more sympathetic and more engaging and mm. mm-hmm. if there'd been more of a more of a if the choice had been a little bit less obligatory <laughs> <laughs> yeah sure yeah, say between Boris Karloff and I don't know Brendan F- Fraser, for example, and then you'd have a real right, movie. right. What do I do? This Boris Karloff. And... <laughs> nice. Brendan Fraser's hair looks so good, and I just. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, and he's man. got that. He's got that weird rubbery face. That's an know? excellent description. He really does have a weird rubbery face. <laughs> What about you, Todd? Well, um, I I would just echo really um, watch it watch it and be surprised because I, mm-hmm. I I frankly think it is a I think it's a well done movie um, with its shortcomings as we've already said but it was unexpected uh, it is unexpected um, and um, yeah the the genre escapes me too it feels like the Maltese Falcon though at times I mean there's really Mm. periods in which mm-hmm. i see yeah. that sort of it just has that same vibe mm. um i would say if anybody is really kind of interested in looking at mummies in general um and uh both historical um as well as popular culture references and so forth there's a uh, a book entitled mummies around the world uh, an Encyclopedia of Mummies in History, Religion, and Popular Culture um, by a guy named Matt Carden um, that uh, perhaps a library nearby has has a copy. Ours ours didn't, although I could have driven two hours to, to, to one that did. Um, and, you know, I, my only access to it was through Google Books um, snippets, you know. But it's really well done. Uh, it's really there's 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 a good section here on this particular film, but there's a lot on others and um, a lot on the history of, and 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 whatnot um, from the Egyptian period. That's uh, that's worth looking at. Well, I would like to round it out by recommending that uh, that listeners well watch the movie, um, but also watch Dracula, and I think the. Um, some of the comparisons there uh, will 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 help uh, uh, some of these things stand out. But if you can track down um, some of the 
some of the sequels. Uh, they're, they're a great deal of fun, too. Um, some of them can be a little hard to get hold of. Um, so, you know, you might have to poke around a bit. But um, the, the Mummy's Hand, the Mummy's Tomb, and then uh, the Hammer reboots, which, which take it in a, in a very, uh, very different kind of direction. Well, dear listeners, that is all the mummy we have time for today. I hope you got your mummy's worth. <laughs> In the meanwhile... <laughs> <laughs> Take your mummy and run. <laughs> yes. In the meanwhile, uh, this is David Grubbs on the Christian Humanist Podcast. Uh, the Christian Humanist Podcast is a show on the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Our... Uh, our press liaison is Kristen Philippic, and uh, our 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 new editor intern is so new that I've completely forgotten her name to write it down. Mea culpa, mea culpa, maxima culpa. Uh, and so I leave you on behalf of Book of Nature's Todd Pedler and the City of Man's Ed Song uh, with these words from Martin Luther: "Let your sin be strong, let your faith be stronger."